0: Welcome to Rates and Barrels episode number 127. It's Thursday, August 20th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Serres on this episode. It's bullpen madness. We'll take a look at every bullpen in the league and discuss the stability of who is getting those save opportunities and where you might turn if you're looking for some fallback options for saves. We'll also discuss a pressing strategy question. If you don't have quality saves already on your roster, is it time to actually think about punting the category In this shortened season got some great questions in the mailbag Uh, one about kyle lewis good question about jd martinez which might apply to some other struggling guys with really nice track records Uh, question about keston hira and an idea for a single team fantasy league almost like a micro league which is kind of a cool idea so we'll see if we can shed some light on how that could work as we roll through this episode you know happy thursday how are things going for you today It's going
1: good, ready for the weekend
0: again, a little
1: little beer and grilling, you know, staying at home kind of weekend, so.
0: Been a lot of that in the last few months, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I played pickleball for the first time in almost six months. (laughs) What the, what is pickleball? You didn't play that in gym class? It's like a, it's like a small flat paddle, it's probably about the size of a racquetball racket, but it's like a composite paddle. Uh, and then it's a plastic, like kind of a wiffle ball with, instead of just holes in the top, it's got holes throughout. So it's about the size of a tennis ball, and it slows down a lot because of the holes. And it's played on a court that's about the size of the service area of a tennis court. So it's about half as long oh, and about only two-thirds as wide no, as a I tennis think court. I would
1: call that like racquetball. Is that different from racquetball?
0: Yeah, I mean, racquetball is inside with the walls. Paddle tennis is what some people call it, but they play with an actual tennis ball. Yes, holes, paddle in tennis, that's it. You don't play with a tennis ball. What do you play with? It's a plastic wiffle ball. It looks... Um, what? It, it's, it's not like a white wiffle ball that you'd play in a wiffle ball baseball league with. It's got even holes throughout, but it's, about the, it's a little bit bigger, about the same size. What? Fastest growing sport in America. What? Yeah, It's real
1: my mind is blown dude my mind is blown so when you hit it you can do like weird things with it
0: like you can kind of whiffle it oh it spins like crazy yeah I mean, ball dives a lot and it's really kind of a, a finesse game so you're trying yeah you're almost like 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 a ping pong where you're like trying to put spin on it yeah and a lot of time like doubles is a lot more common uh, so there's a short part of the court it's called the kitchen and you can't get into the kitchen unless the ball bounces in there first. So you can't like just get up to the net and smash everything. You have to be a couple feet off the net. So it's a really good game because it kind of neutralizes skill. Like If you took four people who could play tennis together who are all at different skill levels and it's kind of lopsided and you put them on a pickleball court... Any combination of two might be able to beat the other two, just because you know, pace gets reduced. <laughs> I and love how you still, you still brought your like fantasy analysis to pickleball. There, <laughs> I wanted to talk about spin efficiency last night while I was uh, serving the ball, and everyone's looking at me like, "What's wrong with you?" <laughs> oh, that's great! So, did you win? Yeah, I think I came away. What do we play? Four, five different matches. At least three and two. Nice. And it's kind of fun. If you if you have an odd number, you can play like a cutthroat game where you play one single player against two and you can only score when you're playing by yourself, and then you just rotate serve. So if you lose a point when you're serving, wow. you go play doubles with somebody else, someone else comes around. There's lots of little wrinkles and, and fun ways to play. Is
1: this is this a is this a, a mid coast thing? Is this a middle of the country thing?
0: I think it's an everywhere thing. I think it's bigger in the warm weather states. I think in Texas and Florida, I mean I think I think what? this Previously was a game that retirees played and somebody visited grandma or grandpa and, and got <laughs> roped into playing it. and was like, no, this is actually cool. Like we should we should play this and, and everyone who tries it kind of likes it. So it's, it's it's interesting because I started playing indoors in the winter and it was at a indoor tennis facility where they took a couple courts and made smaller pickleball courts on them. And uh, yeah, outdoor facility I played out last night actually had six dedicated pickleball courts. Like it was oh a, amazing. It was one of the nicest facilities Palo I've ever seen. Alto yet. Pickleball Club. Join. Blindly join.
1: It's it's nearby.
0: No, oh, it's real. It's everywhere. Mitchell Park. It's a, wow. All right. Join the USAPA. <laughs> I don't know if to join oh, that. I yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> love it. Yeah. Love it. All right, the pickleball PSA is over. They didn't even pay me for that. I, that was a genuine endorsement of the sport. So check it out if you got a, a league happening near you or just find some friends and Up try next, it. next, fantasy pickleball. I'm here for it. I, I, I'll i <laughs> be the first one in on fantasy pickleball. <laughs> so let's talk about bullpens. And I want to start with the strategy question. If you don't have many saves or if you don't have any saves right now, are we far enough into this shortened season where you'd say, I'm done throwing Fab at the problem. I'm just going to go heavier with starting pitchers, and I'm going to punt the category. Because to me, it feels like we've reached that point. Are you comfortable letting the category go now that we're kind of a third of the way into this season?
1: No, not necessarily, because there's so many injuries. And we just saw the first established closer go down uh, with a year-long injury in Kirby Yates. And I just feel like there's always a chance to get off the bottom in saves. It's easier to get off the bottom. And I'm not talking about you're going to get all the way back to the top and and get a ton of points. But in Roto Leagues in particular, uh, there's always points to be gained. You know what I mean? And um, I think that it's more likely that you could get a benefit of three or four points out of the saves category than zero and Um, especially since just pitching in general is so volatile. Let's say you say, okay, I'm going to go heavy on pitching and I'm going to throw in like Tyler Molly and, you know, these other guys that would normally be in my my bench and they're just always going to start. Like, do you, do you like, how confident are you about those guys that are ranked starting pitchers that are ranked like sort of 60 through 80? That's the kind of guys you'd be putting in instead of your relievers, right? Um, you wouldn't be putting in like a, a top end pitcher. So because of that sort of inter interlocking risk that comes with giving up on three or four saves points that you can have and putting in lesser starting pitchers. uh, I'm not that big of a fan. I think that we will see a season ending injury to another closer at least. And we've seen a fair enough of volatility. The only thing I will say about the saves situation it does, it does seem to be solidifying a little bit. Like even from Tuesday, Tuesday we were talking about, you know, doing this bullpen segment And now I'm looking at the bullpen situation. I'm like, wow! Like it, there's not as much opportunity here. Like there's not like, there was one one point like eight relievers I was trying to choose between in terms of like prospecting. Right now I feel like there's maybe three or four or five, and we'll get to them. But like you know, I I don't think there's actually as much. Imbroglio. Is that even the right term? I don't think so. But there's just not as much uh, upheaval. There we go. In the, in the closer chart right now.
0: Yeah, so I broke every team situation into three groups. There are stable situations. There are unstable situations. And then there's the which direction question mark, which gets sandwiched right in the middle. And you could probably argue that those are stable or unstable based on how you feel about the particular pitchers involved. The stable situations... I think are mostly ones we expected to be stable, at least at the top. Josh Hader's been great as the Brewers' closer. I think the only thing that's really been weird about the Brewers is that Corey Knable hasn't looked like himself. His VLO is still down. And really, it's been David Phelps working as the primary setup guy in front of Josh Hader and Devin Williams looking like the next great Brewers reliever developed in that system. His changeup is just nasty right now. He looks like he's the guy that if Hayter were to get hurt, he might actually leapfrog Phelps and take over that job. But I don't know if there's a whole lot there you can do outside of like 15 plus team leagues where your short relievers who don't close are a little bit more rosterable or holds leagues. Of course, there's a big bump for Williams. He's probably scooped up there. Uh, but the Yates situation, I put San Diego in the stable boat because I feel like with Drew Pomeranz like. They have it figured out. I know Cal Quantrill got a save earlier this week, but I think that was more about matchups. I don't think that's really going to be part of what they're doing going forward. Am I right to believe that Drew Pomeranz is just simply the guy? I know we've kind of waxed poetic about how good he's been as a reliever, but do you see him kind of sharing the role, maybe the way that Taylor Rodgers does in Minnesota, or do you see him just being the guy nine times out of ten for the Padres?
1: Yeah, I think Pomeranz is the guy. It's, uh, it's a little bit awkward because he's a lefty. Um, but you know, they have some, uh, what I would call like kind of roster flexibility with their starting, with their starting and relieving staff in that, um, Adrian Morehan is a lefty. He's up. I like it. Yeah. And, 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 and he's, uh, starting, but he's relieved in the past and he throws really hard. I could see him, and even with the start, it was three innings, so I could see him still fitting into that bullpen, which needs more help right now. And with Matt Strom, they have another lefty. Um, Is is Tim Hill a lefty? Yeah, he is. So they got three lefties, so I I think they can do a lefty closer. It's fine. Um, They almost need, like, a power righty, and that's why you saw the one save from Cal Quantrill just – a little bit of trouble, and Quantrill came in to finish it. People are pounding the door to get Quantrill in the starting rotation. I mean, it's really... uh, Yes, I think the closer situation is the most stable part of this. (laughs) (laughs) Deciding who's going to be the fifth starter and who's going to be the setup man, I think, is a lot harder. Because Pagan has struggled, Stammen has struggled, Quantrill could be a good setup man, but he could also be their fifth starter. <laughs> Patino has come in and he had, uh, okay control, uh, command of some of his pitches, but overall, um, I would say just a lack of command did him in. Um, so I don't think he can right now be the fifth starter or the setup guy. Um, and we're still waiting on the Gore call up. So, what would you do if it's your team? I think I would put Quantrill in as the fifth starter, Patino on the back end of the bullpen, and maybe do like Morehan, Pagan, Stammen, Pomerantz as my and Strom as my big uh, relievers. It's a lot of lefties.
0: I would have Gore in the rotation right now. I tried that in the simulation we did, and it didn't go well in the sim. But doesn't mean it won't work in real life. <laughs> but I think they should take that chance for a few starts, see how it goes, and continue his development. I think we talked about it with the Tigers. It's important to get the development right with top-end pitching prospects, getting those opportunities, not having them go stale at the alternate site. To me, that's worth it. And I think they have the depth where they could do a tandem thing if they really don't want Gore to go through the lineup more than twice. Gore Patino is an interesting tandem. I mean, that's holy a lefty. Wow. I mean, that yeah, that, that's nasty. Like, if yeah. if that's what it comes down to, if you're saying, hey, you know, we like these guys, we just don't think the secondaries are consistent enough for them to get big league hitters out a third time through the order. Okay, great. Let them each go three and change or four and change, and that pretty much covers a game and gives the rest of your bullpen a rest on days where that works.
1: Yeah, I I don't think that necessarily uh, Command Plus is uh, a fait accompli, you know, 113 pitches in. Uh, But I will mention that uh, Patino's Command Plus on the slider and fastball, uh, well, the slider was 90. The fastball was 78 and the changeup was 75. So that's really wild. That's a problem. It is a problem, but it might become less of a problem if you take the change-up out of the equation. And maybe then you've got a guy who has 90 and 85 command um, of his fastball and slider, and they are still nasty, I mean, in terms of velocity and and spin and just movement. So Patino might end up being um, your setup man, and then Quantrill could actually be your uh, piggyback with Gore and your kind of long reliever. that still could that that is a fairly likely outcome, uh, but I guess they're going to keep running Morahan out there as as he's doing well. Uh, there's some moving parts, but I think in terms of you know who's the best reliever who should be who should be the closer, it's fairly clear. Yeah, we talked too much. Pomerance is the closer. Let's move on.
0: <laughs> Liam Hendricks is really good in Oakland. That situation is stable. Uh, he's basically just picked up right where he left off last year, so not much drama in that spot. Kenley Jansen went the drive line. Looks like a vintage version of himself right now. Things are new slider going pretty even, smoothly yeah. for him. Yeah, I like that slider. You get the Yankees with Aroldis Chapman coming back from the IL, just as Zach Britton goes on the IL. Britton was great. He was the clear cut replacement while he was out, and now he's unavailable when Chapman comes back. So I think that's one of the the cleanest possible transitions, really. So I think the Yankees are stable. Uh, I think the top five that we talked about, like those are all good situations that are stable. The next batch of stable ones are a little more in the, if we were grading these like on a one to five scale and the situations we talked about were fives being the most stable. These are more like threes and fours, but the reds, Rysel Iglesias really isn't getting pushed for opportunities to this point. He looks like he's at least going to get you saves, even if it's not going to be with elite strikeout rates and and ratios. Uh, Tim or Nick Anderson in Tampa Bay is sharing some of the opportunities, but if you drafted him around that pick 120 mark, which is where he was going in July, nine and a third scoreless innings, 15 Ks, like he's got three saves now on the season. I know he's sharing some opportunities, but to me, that's stable. That's a guy you're starting every week and you feel really good about it.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to share a note about Iglesias. One of the things that I think has helped him is that he's kind of focused his repertoire. He's throwing fewer pitches, and he's also throwing from fewer arm angles. He used to throw from like three different arm angles, and I know that's good for funk, but I think for a reliever, you don't want to have that much to deal with, you know, that much to work with in terms of if your command goes a little bit off. And then I think that's what, how he's gotten in trouble in the past. So... Uh, you know, in terms of like velocity and stuff and strikeout rates and stuff, I think he's relatively stable. I mean, even as there's going to be a little bit of walk rate and maybe some homer rate regression, I think this add this new approach is better for his command and better for his outcomes in the end. I think he's going to hold on to that all year. So, um, you know, Tampa, Nick Amson has come back on. Um, and I, he, I've always thought he had great stuff. I still think He's going to lose save opportunities going forward, not because of his quality, like how good he is, just because of how Tampa does things.
0: It's just a mess trying to figure out who else gets them. Diego Castillo is a guy that I've been trying to roster a few places in deeper leagues, hoping to get the occasional save. He's not even
1: getting holds. He's not even getting holds. They're using him so, yes, they're using him as a fireman and he's a very good pitcher and he's really important for them. But we don't have like a stat that basically quantifies, and I think, you know, the Rays are all over that, Uh, but we don't have a stat that quantifies, like, why, what he's doing that's so good, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even end up being holds, so, um, I like Diego Castillo as an SPRP uh, in those leagues where it matters, and, but at this point, I'm only using him, I guess, for, like, ratios, like, he's not even giving me, um, he's not even giving me, Holds or anything, it's 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 confounding. Alvarado, uh, is he hurt now? Um, I always thought he would be a part of that, but Beeks as a uh, lefty and uh, Chaz Rowe as a weirdo. Um, no, he's got. I mean, this very affectionately, he's got that kind of Corey Kluber-esque huge frisbee slider, and I'm sure that they have some idea of, like, which hitters can just absolutely not hit that pitch, you know? And um, that's why he has a save, I think. And so I think, um, you know, Roe and Beeks will, will steal a few saves from from Anderson.
0: Yeah, Roe is pretty nasty with that slider. Uh, some other interesting kind of stable situations right now. I'd put Alex Colomay in that boat, even though I still don't think he's great. He's just hurt. He's the guy. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. Relievers, man, relievers. Just have to breathe.
0: Yeah, the rest of this group's gonna bother you. We're not even onto the unstable <laughs> yeah. situations yet. It's gonna get His worse.
1: Velocity is down. He's throwing seventy-seven percent cutters. He's striking out twenty-two percent of batters. That's like way below average for a closer.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Should not be getting saves, but does get saves. And like a zero
1: friggin' ERA? Are you kidding me?
0: <sighs> okay. Well, so I was all over Aaron Bummer in deeper leagues. I thought this was a job that would change hands early in the season. Bummer's on yes. the IL right now. So that's frustrating. He is starting to throw against a biceps injury for him. So he's more of a drop and redraft.
1: Uh, yeah. Evan Marshall looks like a... Um... It's like Evan Marshall looks like the the guy if Colomay stumbles, but I think it'd have to be a fairly significant three or four game stumble at this point because uh, he's built up uh, a fair amount of goodwill.
0: Yeah, uh, he he's just the guy they use in that situation, even with his flaws. Uh, Brandon Workman was going around the same spot as Colomay back during draft season. I think I have absolutely no exposure to Brandon Workman this season. Four for four, team's mm-hmm. pretty bad. He might be traded. Like He might be the kind of guy that ends up in a contending team's bullpen before the end of the season. They're running out of time with him. I mean, he's uh, he's been in the
1: Red Sox for six years, a uh, free agent next year, I think, or after 2021. Anyway, uh, yeah, he's, he doesn't have much time, uh, team control left, and uh, the whiff rate is down, uh, the velocity is down, um, he stopped throwing the fastball as much and is throwing the curveball an amazing 46% of the time. So he's kind of Matt Barnes in light and he's got that wicked bad, wicked bad uh, walk rate. Uh, he's keeping the homers down, but it just in small samples, you know, like with the Homer problem before that, like I just don't necessarily believe he's just figured out how to suppress home runs all of a sudden. So yeah, um, I could see him losing the job or being traded, but I don't think that necessarily there's a guy on the Red Sox. I used to think it was Matt Barnes, uh, but I don't know that um, there's necessarily a guy in the Red Sox that uh, is knocking the door down. you know Barnes seems to be less than the less than the sum of his strikeouts and walks again or, or just super wild so I, like who
0: do you who would you have? if I'm speculating there? Yeah, I think it's Barnes because of the skills, but it's mostly because there's a lack of quality alternatives too. Like, who do you actually like other than Barnes? Like, I don't like anybody in that pen. I don't like anyone in that pitching staff. It's one of the worst (laughs) pitching staffs that a rich team has ever built.
1: (laughs) It really is. You know what's funny is watching the the waiver wire, and like literally every day. I think it I think there's like a seven day streak right now. The Red Sox claim somebody off the wire.
0: <laughs> yep. They're trying, trying to churn over some spots and find some solutions to uh. chew up some innings effectively. So you know, Workman is stable in that when the Red Sox get a save chance, we're very confident he's going to get it in terms of his skills and in terms of staying there, a little less stable. So I just want to clarify what I meant by putting him in this group. Uh, Archie Bradley pitching pretty well. Ratios aren't great, but eleven to three strikeout to walk, six for seven in save chances, kind of safe in terms of just getting chances. I don't think there's a whole lot to get excited about in that bullpen either. You know, when I look at the the D backs, I don't I don't see an obvious this guy should be closing instead of Archie Bradley uh, set of skills with anybody.
1: Yeah, I would say that you know I kind of like Kevin Ginkle going into the season, uh, but uh, he has he's and he's got like an extra couple ticks on the fastball which is fun but uh, he's seemingly lost control of of that um, of that situation so and the guys with holds um, like chafin and um you know Alex young the former starter uh, and junior Guerra I, I, you know I like junior Guerra actually I, I would say the junior Guerra is the guy that I would pick up if i was looking for the next um
0: closer however bradley seems fairly safe yeah yeah it better it'd to be like a 20 team league or something for me to stash gerald because the k rate's also really low with him even when he's pitching pretty well uh the other situation that i think is stable right now joe jimenez one of our favorites on this show five for six you know ratios are kind of a mixed bag era is a little high but the whip is good uh, I think the other guy that keeps coming up in conversations anytime I get a, a question about the Tigers bullpen, if it's not about Joe Jimenez, uh, it's about Gregory Soto and whether mm. or not he's viable long term as a possible late reliever.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think there's a, s- a slight possibility of a Jimenez trade. The the problem um, with that is that the Tigers. Well, I guess nine and thirteen. They're probably. I was trying to figure out who are sellers, and there's only going to be like five sellers. You know, there's going to be the Red Sox, and it might be awkward uh, for them for selling because, you know, are they going to sell Xander Bogarts? No, I don't think so. I think it's too early for that. So, you know, they're going to only sell like veteran bats. Like I said, nobody really wants any of their arms. <laughs> so there's like the all they have to sell are maybe Workman and like a Jose Peraza type, I guess. Um, uh, Maybe Mitch Moreland or something, but uh, they don't have that much to sell. The other sellers are the Pirates, Royals, Tigers, Mariners, and Giants. And that's it, I think.
0: Yeah, not a lot of good players on those teams that are going to be moved. Yeah,
1: that too. Yeah, (laughs) like what do you want from those sellers? Um, But anyway, so Joe Jimenez, if he is on the... Like, if he becomes available, might be, I guess, otherwise, like Keone But Keone Kayla, A, has just started to pitch, and B, comes with a history. You know, I think it's fair to say. He comes with a history. You know, uh, he's started, literally started fights on the last two teams he's been on um so i think it's fair to bring that up i don't like to bring up makeup stuff like that because i you know i don't know every of these i don't know i've never hung out with these players outside I, you know there's they only give me the media face so um i but but just look at the facts Keona kayla comes with more baggage i think than jimenez so um you know if the tigers want to make jimenez available i think he might be the best reliever on the market am i missing somebody i don't think so I mean, like, Trevor Rosenthal is okay, but...
0: Rosenthal and Kennedy both, I I guess, are good, but are they that much better better than than Kellen? I don't think so, yeah.
1: So, uh, and I do think that Gregory Soto has cemented himself as uh, the obvious next guy. I know that Buck Farmer has a smaller ERA, um, and I guess maybe he could move into it first in order to keep Soto cheaper. Uh, But I think in terms of uh, quality, and then just usage, I mean, Soto's been used a fair amount. You know, they like him. They use him a lot, and he's only really blown up once. So uh, I think um, I think Soto's the guy if he goes.
0: Now, let's pick a direction for this next group. Uh, Minnesota Taylor Rogers rough outing against the Brewers two nights ago. He's had a couple of bumps along the way. The underlying skills still look good. Uh, over 11 Ks per nine. He's not really walking guys. Doesn't have a big home run issue. I think he's just had a little bit of early season bad luck. I don't really see a major flaw in Rogers. I think the one thing people are worried about is that Sergio Romo comes in and gets some chances based on matchups. And it's
1: it's the Rays' vacation. I mean, they literally have uh, a couple guys in the front office from the Rays, and it just looks like a very similar situation where, you know, uh, depending on usage, depending on what they've seen, Trevor May has a save. Um, and Sergio Romo comes in with the Chaz Rowe Frisbee slider, right? I mean, it's like if there were two guys more similar, I, I wouldn't be able to come up with them. The only difference is that Chaz Rowe throws harder. Um, but Romo has that big old Frisbee slider, and there's got to be some batters that just cannot handle that. If it's like three righties in a row, Romo will come out there and Frisbee them to death, and, um, and so sometimes he'll get the save. And, and that makes Romo worth owning, but I don't think it makes uh, Taylor Rodgers worth dropping or trading.
0: Right. I I think Rodgers is a very good reliever who gets like 65 to 70 percent of the saves instead of 95 plus. So uh, adjust accordingly there. But Romo getting a third of those opportunities is probably rosterable in leagues with at least 12 teams. I mean, I think smaller than that, maybe it gets a little bit tricky because there's always bottom tier closers available on the wire of eight and 10 team mixed leagues. Uh, How about Brad Hand? I know you didn't really like him coming into the season. I think velocity dropping at the end of last season was a big part of the reason why. Uh, He's going slider over fastball in terms of usage so far this year. He's had a couple of meltdowns. Uh, James Karinczak was kind of flirting with taking the job at one point, but Han's got six saves. The Ks have been there, even though the walk rate is up. What do you make of Han based on what you're seeing early on this season? I would not acquire him. I think selling
1: him would be difficult uh, with that ERA, and so I just think he's one of those close your nose and hold Um Karinczak is close enough to being ownable for the occasional save and the incredible strikeout rate. I mean, just incredible. 24 strikeouts in 12 and two thirds. It's it's just, that's, that's useful. (laughs) That's useful, as they say. And uh, a zero, zero, an ERA that starts with zero. I think, uh, i don't Karinczak, but I don't think that I would like sort of breathlessly go after Karinczak or spend a ton of FAB on him or anything because maybe, uh, you know who the Indians, you know what the Indians first were first at? Hmm. Um, just giving a dude the closer role. Do you remember Joe Borowski? I think I think Joe Borowski is a podcast favorite at this point. <laughs> He's your favorite, uh, not one of mine. <laughs> I think they may just let Brad hand Joe Borowski this one. Um, I don't think that he's a better. I think there are probably two or three better pitchers, um, uh, on the roster right now. Uh, yeah, maybe not. Maybe that's not fair anymore. Class is gone. Yeah, it, it, at
0: least one for sure. With at least Karinchak. one, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Karinczak has more strikeouts than Jose Barrios this season. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: that's pretty amazing. <laughs> um. But I think they'll just they'll just let that happen. Karinchek will be the fireman, basically, who gets the heart of the order out in the seventh or eighth, and Brad Hand will just come on and finish him off. Then it won't look good all the
0: time, but I'm just laughing. Korinchek has more strikeouts than Blake Snell. Karinchek wow. has more strikeouts than Frankie Montas. Wow. Yeah, I mean it's not a landslide, but it it's just worth noting. Like that's how much he's giving you in that category. Like he's keeping pace with starters that we really like. And with, like, in a
1: season where no one's going to get you, like, a ton of wins, like, th- it's even better to, to roster. So, that, th- okay, that's the thing you could do if you weren't going to spend fab on closers, right? You could try to get Karinczak types.
0: Yeah, bully strikeouts. And yeah. there aren't a, a ton of Karinczaks to go around, but I mentioned Devin Williams a little earlier. He's missing a ton of bats. Like, you'd be surprised at the number of relievers who they're pushing a 13 14 15k's per nine number and they're getting used in basically every other game. That's going to get you pretty far in that category.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that that is an option uh for people who are way out. Uh and in in head to head, I think I give it the enthusiastic thumbs up. You know, like I'm I'm all over uh that situation with in head to head because uh punting is is a great strategy in head to and you know, I guess we should have learned in the off season, for, quote unquote, should have from our, you know, from our what was it what was the game call that we we did the uh, goat game, yeah, the goat that, project goat that it's um, punting uh, saves is is a viable option in roto. I just I want points in every category that I can get. Uh, I guess I don't know if that makes me a worse player or whatever, but um, here's here are relievers. With more than 18 strikeouts, that would you would be able to pick up. Peter Fairbanks might even get you a save sometimes. Scott Barlow could could get it has a save, and it's not like Trevor Rosenthal doesn't blow up. Jonathan Hernandez good for wins because they've been using him in like the seventh and sixth. Um, I like Jonathan Hernandez. Um, what is Freddie Peralta?
0: What is he? He's a, he's a multi-inning reliever. Okay. <laughs> kind of a follower sometimes. Um, you know, yeah. a, a bit of a fireman, long long fireman. Guy. Guy. Uh, Devin Williams, as you mentioned. Josh Stolmont.
1: Oh, the stuff is really, really nice. I think if you're in a dynasty league, he's a really good pickup uh, for, like, sort of saves next year, you know. Um, and then uh, Jalen Beeks came up uh, and Karinchak. Uh, on the periphery with 17, Tanner Rainey, um, I'm not going to mention that guy, uh, uh, Chad Green wins and strikeouts, but maybe rostered at this point in a lot of leagues. So anyway, those are guys that can keep you abreast in strikeouts, uh, probably push you ahead uh, because people might be rostering uh, relievers that are getting a much fewer strikeouts for their time uh, on the on the bump.
0: Got a few other which direction are these situations going names here. I'll run through all of them at once. You let me know if anyone stands out as really safe. Hector Neris, who based on his draft day price, should be safe. Uh, Rafael Montero, prior to giving up that uh, walk-off Grand Slam last night to Manny Machado, was pitching really well since taking over that role. I thought Texas was pretty stable in the ninth inning with Montero. They probably still are. I think the Nats are stable. We just had the wrong guy back on, on draft day. It's not Sean Doolittle. It's Daniel Hudson. Has had a couple of meltdowns, though. Kind of interested to see if Doolittle gets some of that velocity back. Uh, we talked about Kansas City briefly a few moments ago. Trevor Rosenthal's become the guy. So that's a situation where we were just wrong about who was going to get saves at the beginning of the season. It's not Ian Kennedy. They're I had using a couple him as a of Trevor Rosenthal. I mean, really deep leagues where you're just like, hey, that guy used to be really good. Yeah, seems like he's got a lot of it back, at least early on. Uh, Will Smith was being drafted ahead of Mark Melanson. I think I've considered him as a difficult cut in recent weeks in some leagues because Melanson keeps getting the saves. Melanson's not striking guys out, though. I I look at that situation, and I think, if we were playing 162, if we were four weeks in to a 26-week season, my desire to be patient with Will Smith would be greater. But because we're only looking at another five and a half weeks... I think Will Smith is a necessary drop in certain instances where you just can't hold the non closing reliever. Like sometimes it's, it works, and your roster has either the bench spaces needed or even one active spot where you can kind of play around with the non closer. In cases where you got a few injuries and you got some depth problems, that's where I think you have to at least think about Will, letting Will Smith go.
1: Yeah. I mean, like right now, uh, usage is king. That's one thing we've talked about. And the usage suggests that if Melanson goes down and I would say he's one of the more, one of the less obvious shaky relievers because of that strikeout rate. Strikeouts are king; you can't let the ball in play because that's that's lottery tickets for the other team. And but the usage suggests that if he loses the job, it becomes like a Green Minter platoon. Hmm. Lefty righty. That's they. They have the holds. They are the guys. Uh, maybe Martin could sneak in there. Uh, Martin probably has, uh, he doesn't quite have the same splits of a green and Minter. Green green is like a roogie almost. Like you you just don't want him to face lefties. Um, So Smith could sneak in there and maybe it could be like a, a green Smith situation, but there's no clear, as much as I would say Mark Melanson is shakier than his one, 113 one, ERA. I don't see that there's a guy who's like breathing down his neck. So, uh, and that's actually true of some of these situations where it, it almost matters more how obvious the replacement is. Because with Hector Neris, it's like, well, who else are they going to go to?
0: Yeah, but that's kind of why I feel like he counts as more of a stable option than an unstable one, even though he hasn't pitched all that well. And I think Brandon Kinsler is really stable in Miami. He's only three for three in save opportunities because they've missed a bunch of games. But he doesn't really have anybody pushing him right now either. Even though you're getting a low K rate, I think we know for the time being, if they have a save chance, Brandon Kinsler's the guy trotting out of the bullpen to try and convert it.
1: Yeah, I look up and down this, and I think maybe Tanner Rainey and Jonathan Hernandez. Um, Jonathan Hernandez in Texas and Tanner Rainey in Washington – are the only secondary guys that jump off the page as maybe pushing the guys in front of them. However, the guys in front of them are probably some of the better closers on this page uh, in this section, right? Like Daniel Hudson is has got mostly got it going on, um, and uh, and Rafael Montero, other than last night, I think um, has looked really solid in that role. So. I uh, I know that uh, you know they've got options, but but Daniel Hudson striking out fourteen per nine, um, you know, and still throwing ninety six. I-, I think he's fairly safe.
0: Just a little home run issue in a couple of outings. That's really been the blemish as it goes for him. The unstable situations. Here's Go here's ahead. what's going to make everyone cringe. Let's run through this list real quick. Houston with the Roberto Ozuna injury. Ryan Presley just hasn't pitched all that well yet. I think he can get there. I think he could be better than Roberto Ozuna. Uh, Ken Giles has been hurt. Edwin Diaz lost the job early, has pitched well without the job, and now might be getting it back, so he's becoming interesting again. Hansel Robles lost his job, but now his velocity's back, and Ty Butchery can't strike anybody out, so that one looks like he could change hands again. Craig Kimbrell got a save as part of a doubleheader on Wednesday. Uh, Giovanni Gallegos, yeah, that situation's complicated. He was away, the team was shut down, I think he's the most likely candidate to lead the St. Louis bullpen in saves when the season is over, but it could be an absolute mess getting there because of all the makeup doubleheaders. Colorado's been a total disaster. Wade Davis is hurt. Scott Oberg is hurt. Jairo Diaz had the job and lost it. Now Daniel Bard is getting saves. Like that's a great story, but not something I really want to mess with in fantasy. And then these three situations, the ugliest hole. of all. These are the these are uh, like this is in the Colorado bucket as well. San Francisco. Trevor Gott has four saves. Probably not the guy anymore. Uh, Baltimore. has It's been Cole Sulzer this year, not Michael Givens. I don't think that's going to end well based on the underlying numbers. And in Seattle, Austin Adams hasn't been able to pitch. I thought he was going to be the guy because I thought his knee was going to be healthy. Taylor Williams has four saves and the underlying numbers actually look pretty good. So I would say of these bottom end unstable situations... Williams is the one reliever who kind of stands out to me as a guy that I'd be okay with as my second or third closer if I was chasing saves.
1: Well, I think otherwise uh Taylor Williams uh actually, you know uh, I think Sulcer might ugly it out. So I actually think Sulser Williams Jairo Diaz, that meme with the where the you look at the, the lady looks and is like, hmm? Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel about a higher ideas with the other two. I'm just like, Nope, not going to do it. got, got nothing going on for me. Um, Solcer has a 15% swing strike rate. I know the strikeout rate isn't necessarily there yet. Uh, but I also like that. He's a three pitch pitcher. It's kind of like, you know, the veteran who figured out veteran reliever who figured out, he can't just blow it by everybody. And he's going to put these three pitches together, almost like a starter. Um, I think Solscher and Williams will will make it to the finish line. Uh, I have no idea who will lead uh, the Giants or Rockies and saves. I mean, uh, Selman got a Sam Selman got a Kapler mention the other day uh, when we were at when he was asked who would be uh, in the mix in the at the end of the game. Um, so if you want to prospect on somebody to take God's job, uh, I'll take Sam Selman. The problem is he throws 90, 90-poo. Um, he just, he's like one of those, uh, you know, throws sliders more often than he throws his fastball guys, which is, uh, if you remember Luke Gregerson, um, you'll remember how just absolutely terrifying that is to have your closer throw more sliders than fastballs. Even yeah. Romo, man, when he was the when he was like the closer, of the capital C, there were just some games and some teams that either just threw a bunch of lefties up or just could hit him, and you were just like, oh god. Um, but I think I think Sam Selman um, could be a name to think about uh, with the Rockies, man. I guess Jairo Diaz is still like the guy I'm looking at sometimes, but um, really holding my 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 nose when I am doing it, and I think I, I think I might agree with you overall. That just I just don't want to I don't want to deal with it.
0: Daniel Bard has pitched well. Fourteen K is against one walk, scattering thirteen hits over twelve innings. Hasn't allowed a home run yet. I mean, this is a guy that last pitched in the big leagues in twenty thirteen. Again, it's a great story. I hope it has a good ending. I really do. I just look at that and say, wow, Colorado closers. Hopefully, I don't have to do it. If I did, I was on the high Diaz train just a few weeks ago through the fab Adam. I've been pretty disappointed with what we've got to this point. And I don't know if I ever really want to trust anybody in that situation because it so rarely, (laughs) so rarely works out. I've been
1: burned. I've been burned. I don't want to get burned again. Uh, Yeah. I just, I just, I don't buy that. um, Bard is like figured something out magically. I don't, uh, his release point is radically different than from before, so maybe there's something going on with the sl- the lower release point. Um, but that also means less ride and other things. So, I think a guy with a career walk rate like that, who walked 6.5 per nine the last time he had a full slate, uh, is just uh, a problem. The, you know, one thing that I have noticed, and I did do this last week, I put. Uh, in the in the league where I'm like trying to find saves and, and I have eighty dollars fab out of a thousand left. <laughs> oh, is that the the Carlson Adele league? Yes, the Carlson Adele gambit. Oh, I did uh, I did uh, successfully protest to have the trade deadline moved because I, I was like, well, at least with Carlson Adele, I'll have someone to to trade, right? And then I discovered that the trade deadline was August second because nobody changed it. <laughs> But I successfully lobbied to have that change. So, phew, I might be able to make a trade there. But one thing I did last week, and I should have told you all about it, um, but I didn't think it was a big deal, was since I had so little money, I just uh, I put $2 or $3 on Kimbrel, Diaz, and Robles. And I, I, I wish I had gotten Kimbrel. Um But I got Robles. And as you mentioned, Robles' velocity is back, and I don't think Ty butchery is that much of an impediment for Robles getting his job back. In fact, they've been using Robles in the eighth and stuff. So even usage suggests that Robles is the next one up if Butchery stumbles. And I think it may not even take a stumble uh, because Robles is up to 97 again. So I would say um, those three pitchers are all going to get their jobs back, which is going to be a a really interesting thing because it seemed at some point that it was just like chaos everywhere in every bullpen. And if those guys get their jobs back, that means that really we lost Asuna to injury. Ken Giles to injury, and uh, a couple guys, you know, were better than we thought. And otherwise, it's been more predictable than a usual season almost. Yeah, doesn't crazy? seem doesn't is that seem true? completely terrible. If Diaz, terrible. Kimbrel, and Robles get their jobs back, this season would almost be more predictable than a
0: normal season. If all three of them get their jobs back, but I don't know. I, I think two out of three is more likely to happen. And of the three, I trust Kimbrell the least. I still just really? think. I, I really don't think I it's there. I was really
1: impressed with the last outing from Kimbrel. Uh He's changed his fastball location. He was throwing up and he got his velocity back. Uh, you know, he was throwing 97s. Um, I think Diaz actually makes me the most nervous. Because I can't just figure out why he doesn't command. do it. Yeah. It's like, command. He walked, doesn't repeat well. he walked a guy with the bases loaded, dude. I mean that means he can't he can throw like a hundred. Why did you just throw a hundred, you know, s- slightly up in the middle of the zone? Yeah. Or guys can't hit that. Outer third, you know. But he, he can't even hit the outer third. He's just it's it's pretty wild. So uh if I'm prospecting okay, so you and I, uh think about it real quick. Order those three, order them in your head. Number one for both of us is Robles.
0: Yeah, I'd go Robles over Diaz, Diaz over Kimbrel. Kimbrel,
1: I go Robles, Kimbrel, Diaz. I think, uh, but I, I I sound a little bit more positive that all three will get their jobs back, which is just a just a weird weird thing.
0: It's fun. Kimbrel's out there in a decent number of leagues. A lot of frustrated Craig Kimbrel owners let him go in the last uh, ten days or so. By the way, if you're looking for a new mug. We have you covered. Dugout Mugs is a company that was started in a college baseball dugout, hence the name Dugout Mugs. They take the barrel of a baseball bat and turn it into a 12-ounce mug. I can't even look at the barrel of a bat on TV without wanting to drink something out of it. Like It's pretty crazy. <laughs> dugout Mugs are licensed by Major League Baseball, so you can get your favorite team logo laser engraved onto a birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. They're perfect for the big game, to put on display, or to be the life of the party, and they make a great gift for any baseball fan, go to dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and use the promo code MLB30 for thirty percent off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and code MLB30. A lot of great questions in the mailbag today, so let's rip through these. First question is about Kyle Lewis. It comes from Joey. He wants to know the month's worth of games in the books He's wondering if our overall outlook has changed for Kyle Lewis. He's got uh, both Lewis and Luis Robert in the first year of six-year contracts in Dynasty, and writes they seem to be trending in opposite directions as far as future value goes. Uh, I wouldn't worry about Luis Robert like being up and down. Like he was on fire to start the season, he's slumping right now. He's a little banged up. Luis Robert's fine,
1: and I think Kyle Lewis is going to do the same thing as uh, as Luis Robert because they both lack plus hit tools. You know, they're both guys who can wallop the ball, uh, athletic. Lewis may have a better sense of where the zone is. You know, if you look at his walk rates and the minors up and down, like, um, you know, we may believe this uh, improvement in walk rate more. But uh, both of them are going to be streaky, I think. And I don't want to sprain my shoulder giving myself a pat on the back, but um I predicted uh, Kyle Lewis would hit the would get the Rookie of the Year this year. It was a bold prediction because Robert is still the uh, in the catbird seat, uh, but I we saw that he could hit the ball really hard in some small samples. He's still hitting the ball really hard, and I even think that uh, as he learns to lift the ball a little bit with that added selectivity that he's showing. Uh, he doesn't have to necessarily make a mechanical change he can just sort of focus on balls high in the zone that he can that he that will go further when he touches them so um I think there's a maybe a little bit more power left in, in there for Lewis uh, but he's proven himself already to be a uh, capable defender I think he'll move to the corners eventually he plays some center field this year but I think he's going to be a plus defensive corner outfielder with like a 330 OBP and like a 200 ISO. So there's actually, uh, like if you look at his projections, that's better than his projections uh, and better than his current power level uh, in terms of ISO. So I think he'll, he'll, he won't he will be as lucky with balls in play, uh, Lewis, but I do think that he'll end up being kind of like a 275, 330 um 475 guy, 475 to 500, that's a pretty pretty good player, especially with with good outfield defense.
0: Yeah, you're pushing an 800 OPS with that. I uh, think I like about Kyle Lewis too compared to what we saw at the end of last season. He is swinging a lot less at pitches outside the strike zone. Yeah. Swinging less in general, so just showing a little more patience. I think that's a good thing for him. I think I mentioned yeah. this on Under the Radar on Wednesday night. I saw him go the other way. Uh, it must have been Tuesday night against the Dodgers, or maybe it was Monday night, but... I don't think he's just all pull trying to yank everything to hit home runs. I think he's kind of got power all over the place. And we've seen it both this season and in the brief call up last year. Like he can use the entire field. He's gone the opposite way 33% of the time. 30%
1: Oppo rates are legit. That's a legit Oppo, you know, for sure.
0: It's a nice Uh, approach overall.
1: He has that up and down in the minors too. So, yeah. Uh, You know, the only thing that really held him back was a, a fair amount of knee injuries. Uh, you just you, you look up and down his minor league thing. And you just see like what happened that year. Why did he only play that many games that year and that sort of thing. So uh, he pretty much lost half the 2018 season or a good portion of that. Um, and the 2017 season, he only got uh, like 200 plate appearances, too. So it, the story is mostly injury. Uh, and now that he's
0: healthy, we're seeing what he can do. So is he more of a keeper league, dynasty league building block than a simple like high upside depth piece at this point? Yeah, 25 years old, you can,
1: you can get a good four or five years out of him, even if he's a, a short peak guy. Yeah, I'm with you. I
0: think he was in flyer mode late last season, but he's upgraded his status quite a bit with what he's done so far. Thanks a lot for the question, Joey. Uh, next question comes from James A. He wants to know, what are your thoughts in the long-term value of J.D. Martinez, the keeper in Dynasty League-centric? Uh, he read that the lack of in-game video has thrown off J.D.'s routine but is there something more at play?
1: No. Uh, you know, Joey Votto once said that the best lineup protection he can have is somebody on base in front of him. And I do think that Martinez is batting with fewer people on base. And that just means, um, you know, defense defenses can be more aggressive in how they play him because uh, nobody has to cover a base. Um, and that... Uh, Just generally, uh, pitch mixes uh, can be uh, more aggressive uh, because the catcher doesn't have the threat of uh, not blocking the pitch, for example, and uh, doing a pass ball that'll score a runner. Uh, So the more batters you have on base, the the better, and the Red Sox offense isn't what it used to be with Mookie Betts up there. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that no one's there to protect him because line of protection with the batter behind you has been... Uh, kind of, I would say, almost thoroughly debunked. Uh, but there is that concept of runners on ba- on base is good for you. So I think that's part of it. The other part is a slightly slow start. Um, his barrel rate is still good. Uh, but, you know, a little bit exit velocity sloppage uh, coming off there. Uh, but that's, um, uh, you know, he's still still pretty. He could still end up with some red ink on a stat cast page is what I'm saying. Um, you know, given a little more time. Um, and uh, the other thing I would say is his Dynasty Keeper League value is only going to go down from here. He's 32 years old. Um, I think 35 is just the absolute maximum, even for a superstar. And around 33, 34, you start to lose trade value.
0: So he's kind of interesting because I could see JD going down a path that we've seen for Nelson Cruz for the last five years once he gets to his late 30s, like where he just keeps hitting... Everyone keeps doubting him. Price comes down a little bit every year. He probably becomes UT only at some point in the next few years, too. And there he is, just hitting rockets at age 38. Like that could happen. But you're you're right about the trade value. I I kinda hinted at this on the last episode. Like you reach a certain point. 32 is definitely in that range where you just don't get back what you should for a player who's as good as JD Martinez is in a trade in Dynasty anymore, because a lot of Dynasty League owners, they're hanging on to prospects because they believe in the guys they drafted, they believe in the guys they traded for, and they don't want to be wrong to give up on a high ceiling or a combination of high ceiling players only to have an old maid card not turn out like a Nelson Cruz, right? I mean, Nelson Cruz is more of an outlier. Most players don't yeah. age nearly that well. Long, it's a long way of saying I actually like JD. If I were competing in a keeper or dynasty league, he'd be high on my list of players I'd be trying to trade for right now because... He would come at more of a discount than usual he'd be discounted anyway and I think he's going to help you further into the future than the person trading him away is willing to acknowledge
1: yeah for sure um and i uh, i i i i i erred i think that with you know three years left on his deal is that right
0: is it
1: three? Why do years mess me up like this? It's you know, it's it's because you don't know if if things are like when they end. You know what I mean? Like, okay. So here's uh, here's the got, deal. Here's the deal. He's got, he's got this year and two more left.
0: Yeah, so he's a free agent in twenty twenty three. I think he's which tradable means after twenty twenty two.
1: I think he's tradable. I think someone could acquire him.
0: It's got to be an well. It doesn't have to be an AL team, right? If not we this think year. That, If
1: we think but, the DH is here to stay, but you also have two years left. I think it'll most likely be an AL team. Who could it be? Uh, the Rays don't have that money. The Yankees are kind of stacked in that situation, like just hitters that can't play that that defense that well. The Twins have Nelson Cruz, literally. The Indians have guys like that. The White Sox have guys like that. The Athletics don't have the money. The Astros seem like willing to just sort of play the string out. And the Rangers are 10-13. and 13.
0: Yeah, if an NL team were to do it, and again, you'd have Risky. to do it expecting the DH to be here to stay. He'd actually fit for the Brewers really well. Like they, They've been playing Ben Gamble in the outfield a If they lot. have the money. Braun comes off the books at the end of the season. He basically makes what Braun makes now. Oh, And could he play some first base?
1: There's no long-term first baseman, right?
0: Yeah, you could probably try that. They, Justin Smoke was like a one-year deal, right? Yep. So maybe JD's oh, more be... willing to play first base than Braun is. Braun, I don't think Braun wants to play first base at all based on things Will has said. That would be a really fun trade, dude. They need a they need a corner bat that can come in and just mash and help bring up that offense. So I would be a really fun trade. I think <laughs> I would like that one. I guess the Cardinals. Um,
1: yeah, to replace Marcelo
0: Zuna, basically.
1: They, have, Dylan a few, Carlson's they have a part bunch of. of that, but. They have a bunch of outfielders, but uh, he could DH for them this year, and then maybe they could figure something out next year. Uh, yeah, but that's that's the one. I don't know if the uh, the Dodgers. You just have to mention them because they'll they do stuff like this. But I just I don't think they'll do it again.
0: <laughs> oh, it's like, what do you get back in a trade for an all bat? Not really an outfielder. Outfielder with money on the contract. With money who on st- the but, deal. but who could still he could still earn more than that he could still be a 40 million dollar bat he still has it's an that. argument
1: it's an argument against the trade because you won't get much back and do they really would they, do they want to pay it down they could do that could do that that's how the brewers trade could happen right they could pay down some of the deal and actually get a prospect the problem is the brewers don't really have prospects like bryce like, Turang or something
0: you're not into Corey is he ray still a prospect? Yeah, Bryce is one of their best prospects. Hedbert Perez, the J two signing from last summer. Okay. Alec I mean, Bettinger.
1: That, that, that those would be Oh Bettinger we liked as a as a pitcher. I don't know. The Brewers seem to need to hold on to their pitching. So maybe maybe Turang and the and the other guy. If Terang, if they get Corey Cor- Ray.
0: Yeah. No, I I think Corey Ray is just not a prospect. Uh, unfortunately, he had a horrible year last year. It's actually the, one of the worst times. This goes far beyond Corey Ray. For him, it, yeah. If but... you had a down year in the upper levels of the minor oh. leagues last year, and now you're stuck at the alternate site, where uh, oh. they're, they're doing the video exchange. At least some teams signed on for that. But even that, like, how, how do you look at a guy and go, oh, yeah, he figured it out, yeah, he, and he was hurt last year. but, but You still if, want the stats. You just want to see. I mean, see. as much as people say don't look performing. at the stats
1: – yeah, as much as people say don't look at the stats for, for minor leaguers, like every every major league team will look at the stats, look at the major league equivalencies, look at how the projections have changed. They every team will look will look at the stats for, for minor leaguers. Yes, they'll, they'll they'll include the scouting, but they will look at the stats. I mean, it's not uh, and without them, it's just sort of like uh, and, and maybe not the stats that we see on Fangraphs. Maybe they just look at the exit velocity and stuff like that. Uh, but they look at something. And I that that whole thing was really crazy. They're they're trading video and some stats now, but it's not every team. So it's like, what can we know? What those twenty teams are? Can we know who's not? Because the people who are not tra- uh, trading stats are not going to be trading players.
0: One would think, yeah, they uh, they are. Not give us some clue about active. what
1: was, was going to happen next week if we knew who was trading stats and who wasn't. But you know what? I've got to write something about who's. You know, who who should be traded and stuff for next week for, for the athletic. Maybe I'll ask around and see if anybody knows who's not trading stats. I mean, teams know that. So,
0: yeah, maybe somebody Team, will tell me. Someone will tell you. Thanks for the question, James. Uh, so, yeah, hold on to J.D. Martinez, especially in long-term leagues, and even buy him if you're contending. I think he can help kind of put you over the top and help you in future years as well. Uh, Next question came from Andrew. He writes, I trust the Brewers fan to know the answer to this one, but given that we're one-third of the way through the season and Keston Hira has been horrific, all caps, is there any reason to hang on to him or cut bait now with the short season? I did pick up Robinson Cano while he was away, so I have that as an immediate replacement. Now, I think Keston Hira hit another home run yesterday off of a a position player. (laughs) uh Adrianza was pitching. And- he's getting healthy.
1: <laughs> yeah. So
0: so here's the problem with Keston here. And I'm going to answer this question by asking you a question. Uh, he's struggling with high fastballs. If you look at the Baseball Savant heat maps, like he just swings and misses at high fastballs a lot. Puts himself in bad counts. He strikes out more than you think because I, I think he's 01. He's got to be his 01 like a, a top 5 hitter. Like he's just constantly 01 constantly behind on the count he mm-hmm. has power he has speed he doesn't walk a lot there are definite flaws right now that he has to correct so i'm not cutting him and playing robinson cano who at this stage of his career i think is just a solid filler plays in the heart of the order and dhing is good for him i'm less worried about him health wise but you're not getting speed from robbie cano you're probably not getting more power you're probably just getting a little more batting average maybe a lot more batting average depending on how this goes But as far as correctable problems go, this is where the question for you comes in, you know, how correctable is not being able to hit high fastballs? Is that a problem that a hitter can truly fix either by somehow getting faster at the plate and getting getting the barrel up there or just by laying off that pitch and saying, you know what, make him do it again. At least if he throws one up there and I lay off it, I got a better chance of getting something I can hit on the next one. Three names for you, and I'm glad you
1: spotted this flaw because it's it's a fascinating thing to talk about. Three names, the three names are uh, Cody Bellinger, Kyle Schwarber, and Brandon Moss. Uh oh, <laughs> Brandon Moss. There's a there's a my the best one of the best pieces I ever written was an interview with Brandon Moss, and if you have only sort of come upon me at the athletic or in the last couple of years, just I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It's just a fascinating look into the mind of a hitter that is having this problem. So just look up, uh, you know, sort of Brandon Moss, you know, Sarah's fan graphs, uh, you know, Adam Dunn was part of that interview. It's just a hilarious interview because Adam Dunn is just being hilarious in the background, but it also gives you a sense of what a hitter is thinking about when he's in this process. And I think what Brandon Moss chose to do was try to kind of use selectivity to get out of it, right? So that is one avenue where you basically just try to spit on high fastballs and just try not to swing at them and just dare them to be able to kind of give you three fastballs high in the zone without going out of the zone or without one dropping, right? Um, it's 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 a way to do things, but I don't think it's been as successful as the other two. Cody Bellinger created a B-swing. We've talked about the B-swing. Now he has a C-swing. I still think he can put A, B, and C together and and be a superstar again. Kyle Schwarber, I think, has been okay with just having two swings. Um, and I just re-rack his last homer, Kyle Schwarber's last homer. He just hit a homer on a high pitch. The I think yesterday. I don't know. There's there have been a lot of games. <laughs> I, I'm, but I, I'm pretty sure I was about to text Sahadev sure, uh, saying, you know, God, Kosh Warber hit that, uh, that ball out on his, at his nipples. I think it might've been a walk-off. Um, any case, uh, Kosh Warber has two swings. Cody Bellinger has three swings. I think that's the better way out is to develop a, a method of hitting it. And I, I had beers with Kevin Uclis once where Kevin Uclis said, no hitter has one swing. Just, look at what it takes in a swing to hit the inside fastball versus the outside fastball. Look at what difference a swing looks like if you're trying to hit the low fastball and the high fastball. And I think the very best hitters are ones that find ways to have kind of two swings. The one problem I have with Keston Hira developing a second or third swing
0: is that he has a very complicated toe tap He's got both. He's got a toe Foot tap and step. a big leg kick. He's, he's got a, he's got a double like a, a double move basically when he swings the bat. And
1: I, l- listen, to, to, you know those things work for people, and he's hit for a lot of power, and I think you know it works for him. Um, but it is a lot of movement, and it is a lot of stuff. And if you're trying to develop a, a way to hit high fastballs while you have all this other stuff going on in your regular swing. Um, I don't know. I, I would. He's definitely not Brandon Moss because he's more athletic, um, and just a. Uh, also, he got his chance younger than Brandon Moss. Um, if we'd had if we'd seen like Brandon Moss be Brandon Moss, uh, from twenty three on, because he he, the whole story with Brandon Moss is like teams told him he had to be a spray hitter and a, and a this and a that, and they just didn't let him just be a a, a, a thumper, right? But if we'd seen Brandon Moss at twenty three come up and just be like, "I'm gonna thump," you know, "I'm just gonna hit for power," and that's what I'm gonna do every time the ball drops below the first top third of the zone, I'm gonna hit it out. <laughs> uh, otherwise, I'm gonna strike out thirty percent of the time, and that's just who I'm gonna be. Um, then, we, then, then we would have seen a fairly uh, interesting career from Brandon Moss, and and maybe Hero will go on like a slightly speedier, with some defense uh, version of that. That's the floor. So the floor, I think, is still pretty damn good for here. I mean, even with all these struggles right now, better than the average of the bat. Um, but um, to really uh, get out from under this problem, I think he would need to change something mechanically.
0: I also think that's the kind of adjustment that happens in an off season and probably not in the middle of a season. Unless he runs into a prolonged slump, right? You're not going to start rebuilding your swing unless you're completely falling apart at the plate. And I would say he's as extreme as you can be and still holding it together. He's slightly above average with a 103 WRC plus so far. The Ks are a problem. The Brewers know this is a problem. We're still talking about a guy who hasn't even had a full season's worth of big league plate appearances.
1: In, in season, I would tell him, just try to lay off those.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's an easier adjustment, right? That's discernment. Yeah. That's not changing something you've done Thousands of times going back probably to high school, I'm guessing. I would guess that Keston here picked up this timing mechanism eight years ago. And yeah. like re- reversing that in a few weeks, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that's going to take a full winter of him working on and specifically what, fixing this problem.
1: That's what Schwarber and Bellinger did. Um, but it is a problem long term if pitchers know you have a hole. I mean, it's like uh, the hangnail that you can't, you know, or that, oh, you know, it's the worst uh, when you have like a little something in, uh, on your cheek or something on the inside <laughs> or like a, <laughs> like a, a tiny little, like a, like a little kernel stuck in your tooth in between your teeth after like popcorn or something. And All these like, things are unpleasant. Very unpleasant. That's what a hole is like uh, when you got, when you're a hitter. I mean, just. You can see everybody doing it. And that's that's why I think the Moss interview is just so so instructive because he's just like shouting about how annoyed he is that all the pitchers are going for that hole and what he's trying to do about it.
0: It's a great question. Thank you for writing in, Andrew. Let's go to one more question. This one comes from Rich. He wants to know, uh, he's setting up a league for just him and one friend, and he wants to know if the player pool is restricted to one team, their shared favorite team, How could they have an entertaining way of playing fantasy? So at first pass, he set it up as a weekly head-to-head linear weights points league with two infielders, two outfielders and four pitchers. If either of you tried a single team player pool like this, and what are your thoughts? He also wanted to know, he thought he heard a mention that t-shirts and other merch were available, but didn't know where to look on the site. Um, As far as t-shirts and merch go, hopefully in the future. We don't have that yet. I mentioned it, I think during a, a read, we were We're all wearing fun t-shirts on a Friday, and I referenced that while talking about dugout mugs, so uh, that just added confusion. We don't have Rates and Barrels t-shirts yet, as his eyebrows raise. Uh, But a single-team fantasy league, I mean, like a micro-league is actually kind of a cool idea, right? Because you can play multiple micro-leagues. You can play one micro-league. You can play with someone who's kind of new to fantasy, and you only have to watch one team play. It's the team that you watch anyway, so... I actually kind of like this as a creative way of, of just playing a much smaller sort of fantasy game. What do you think about linear weights, though, as a way of playing fantasy in general? I know you've played some auto new leagues. Like, do you think that's a good way to, to play head to head?
1: Well, the only thing that, that strikes me about that is that it seems a little bit black boxy. Um, and, and depending on you know how into baseball your your friend is, like uh, they may just be like, you're making this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> like what what i got how many points so i think a, a slightly simpler idea might be something like home run derby where uh you each and 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 you, j- you could put a different word in before derby like hit derby uh k derby right Total where bases. you basically where you just count up the home runs like you you each pick a, a player for home runs you pick a player for hits and you pick a, a, a pitcher for Ks. Uh, the one problem you might run into is like you just always pick the two-starter, but maybe not. Um, and uh, you could do uh, something slightly different, but uh, you can't really do wins because that's just terrible. Um, and uh, you could maybe just uh, you could do something about ERA, like who will have this, the lower ERA. But then what happens if they just don't pitch that week? Then you get a zero, then you win. Um, so you have to do think about like what happens in a week and what you want to do but uh, i think the derby style might be just a little bit simpler and uh lead to fewer arguments between you and your friend
0: yeah that's the that's the concern with the linear weights angle but i, I, <laughs> I like this idea rich i have not played like this before i mean you could try uh something more like the DraftKings or fan point system just something simple like that too that way you know, It's clear like what everything is worth, and, and maybe building it more like that with the roster that you outlined is a, a good way to go. So love the idea. Curious to hear how it goes. And I don't have a lot of suggestions for how exactly to run it, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm always for the, the new and creative ways to play fantasy. Thanks a lot for that question, Rich.
1: It's not rates and barrels, but uh, The Athletic is giving away face masks today. Um oh if you want to get on that i think the MLB and NBA handles are giving away face
0: masks uh, all day today so that could be intriguing so the athletic MLB on twitter would be the uh, the account you're looking for if you're interested in trying to win that face mask if uh, you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to give us a nice rating and review. We really appreciate the many of you who have done that. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels Get all of Eno's articles, all of our baseball coverage, team coverage, fantasy stuff, everything you could possibly want. Plus Premier League, plus NASCAR, plus NFL, plus NHL, plus NBA, plus NWSL and MLS. Everything you could ever want all under one umbrella. And as always, you can reach us via email, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. Be sure to spell out the word and if you go that route on Twitter, he's at Inoseris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday.
1: Thanks for listening.